Well, for those of you that remain, our, uh, our text this morning is in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to, to look at the first word of verse 23 in this list of the, the virtues that we call the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I'm going to read aloud to you uh, verses 22 uh, through 24, and I would ask you, as you're able, to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Uh, When I have read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond together, thanks be to God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes it is difficult for us to remember that the Christian life, being a Christian, having fellowship with God himself and Jesus Christ, and living the Christian life, a life of discipleship and union with Christ our Lord, that it is such a, an otherworldly thing. It is such a, a supernatural and surprising, shockingly uh, otherworldly thing sometimes. There's lots of pressure on the church to think of it otherwise, to, to have the gospel be something that's respectable to the world. That in academia, the Bible and its revelation would be something that is, is legitimate and seen as respectable. Uh, for, for us and our lives as Christians uh, in, in social uh, circumstances to be seen as, as good and appropriate, for those things that the world considers valuable at the moment, for us to say, well, yeah, yeah, us too. We're just as respectable in the eyes of the world. Our, what we believe is just as legitimate as anybody else. Uh, but of course, at the end of the day, the gospel is not all that respectable, is it? It is something shocking. It is foolishness to the world. It is offense to many. And at the end of the day, the Christian life, so with it, is not so respectable to the world. Uh, But rather, it is very otherworldly and baffling and sometimes shockingly so. Today, we're going to consider part of what makes the Christian life so otherworldly and baffling to the world, and that is the seventh of this list of virtues, again, referred often as the fruit of the Spirit here that Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit, and that is gentleness. We come to the beginning of verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And as we're as we see in the text and what we're going to consider today, the, the, that humble gentleness of the Lord Jesus Christ is to characterize us as his people. 
that kind of humble, meek, gentle spirit that was demonstrated so clearly by Christ in his earthly ministry and life and characterizes him even now is likewise to characterize us as his people in the church. Uh, the outline we're going to follow this morning for the next few minutes uh, is we're going to examine a little bit more closely what I just said. We're, we're going to consider what this gentleness is. We're going to consider it in the Lord Jesus himself, and then we're going to consider what it looks like manifest in us, his people. So first, let's consider what exactly Paul means by gentleness here. Uh, some of you may have memorized this text in the King James a long time ago, and you remember that it's, it's not gentleness in the King James, is it? It's meekness. As with the kindness and goodness that we've talked about recently, uh, the word that is translated gentleness here is translated a number of different ways in the New Testament. Uh, there is something of a, of a range to its meaning. Uh, and in fact, as we come to gentleness, it might be helpful to remember that I sort of argued to, with you, not with you, to you a few weeks ago that what we often think of as gentleness, a tenderness and compassion, is actually what Paul's referring to when he lists kindness among the fruit of the Spirit. This word that's translated gentleness, it is sometimes other places in the New Testament translated gentle. In Matthew chapter 11, when the Lord Jesus refers to himself as gentle and lowly of heart, it is this word. In Titus chapter 3, this word is translated in the ESV, perfect courtesy that we're to show one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's translated humility when Paul admonishes the saints to have humility towards one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1, Paul appeals to them by the meekness of Christ, and it is this word. And in Matthew chapter 5, when the Lord Jesus begins the Beatitudes and says that the meek shall inherit the earth, it is this word that we have in our text. I do think that, given the context, meekness is probably uh, better in communicating the idea of what Paul's expressing. Meekness communicates to us as the King James Bible is translated. In the ancient world, this, this word, as many of you know, was used to refer to animals that had been tamed. A tame animal was an animal that had this gentleness, that had this meekness about it. Yes, they were gentle. A horse that had been broken and tamed, it was a gentle animal then, but it wasn't just gentle naturally. It was gentle because it was submitted to its master. It was no longer wild and impulsive and following its own will wherever it might go, but now there was a certain deferential spirit in the animal deferential to the will of its master. Uh, you might think of it as being the opposite of that, that term often used in the scripture, stiff-necked. Uh, you, you, the people of Israel often referred to as being stiff-necked. And if you've raised small children, you know exactly what that means. Why are you being so stiff-necked? Right. That's the quality being referred to here, the opposite of that, a meekness a humility, a gentle submissiveness. And as with all the fruit of the Spirit that we've seen so far, it's very much in the context of towards others. 
love towards others, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and now gentleness towards others. This is a certain deferential quality towards other people, a, a willingness to put them and their needs above our own in a deliberate lowering of ourselves. A willing, deliberate considering of others as more significant than ourselves. Now, for the sake of clarity, let me point out that the kind of meekness, gentleness, humility being described here, it is, it is not the same thing as just human weakness or timidity. You know, we, we think of... Uh, we think of gentleness and we think of meekness and we think of somebody weak. In fact, uh, during the, uh, the week as, as the, the folks in the office were deciding on the, uh, the art for the front of the bulletin here, um, I had suggested somebody holding a puppy for gentleness. Now, they very wisely said that's not a good idea and they put this nice delicate uh, feather on the front there. But a puppy, <laughs> a puppy is meek and gentle because it is weak which is not really a great picture of it. They were wise to not let me put a puppy on the front of the bulletin. The kind of meekness being described here is very much compatible with great strength and boldness. A horse that has been tamed is not a weak animal, though it is gentle. And for someone to behave in a meek manner is not to be weak or timid. It is also not self-hate or low self-esteem. You all are, are very well aware that you can you can despise yourself and still be absorbed with yourself. You can have low self-esteem and still be thinking about yourself all the time. This is not that. This is a, a deference to, to others, a putting others above ourselves and a willingly, deliberately lowering ourselves for the good of others. Uh, as I was trying to think of illustrations of this, it dawned on me this last week that we actually see meekness all the time in our midst here in this congregation, day after day, so much that we don't even notice it often uh, when we look at the wives and the mothers in this congregation. Uh, there are many women in this congregation who have taken on the role of wives and mothers willingly, deliberately, and they often, day after day, put others and their needs before themselves not because they are inferior, not because they are weak. In fact, I mean, I think probably all you brothers would agree that a lot of the wives and the mothers in this congregation, they have been gifted with an intellectual sharpness and an emotional fortitude and social graces and oftentimes a real spiritual mat maturity that, that far outstrips their significant others. They are not inferior in the slightest, but again and again and again, they elevate others and their needs before themselves. I, I'll share this illustration with you because my wife is in Grace Kids this morning. She and I got in a little bit of an argument this last week, as we sometimes do. And uh, I came home from work, and she was uh, in the kitchen, and I said something that was hurtful to her and upset her, and I was hurt and upset that she was hurt and upset. And so we started to argue a little bit. Now, we were arguing in that way that you do when you have small kids around, you know, kind of in a hushed tone over by the microwave, you know. Uh, and then and when people come in, you, you stop, you know, and then you send them away, and then you get back to your, the little argument that we had. Now, 
Looking back, uh, she was right. Uh, the thing that we were arguing about was totally my fault, and she, she, was, she was right, and I was wrong. At the time, I didn't understand that. And um, at one point, while we were going back and forth and trying to prove ourselves right to each other, she, um, she said, well, we have, we have to talk about this later. You know, I've got I've to finish getting dinner ready. So I went off with the, the kids to do whatever, and she finished getting dinner ready, and then she rang. We have a bell in our kitchen. She rang the bell so that everybody came to the dinner table, and we all sat down at the table, and uh, we pray, and we start eating, and it dawned on me, like, she paused this argument with me to make dinner for me, right? Like, I was eating a meal that she had prepared. You know, I, I'd come in, and I'd heard her feelings, and we'd, in, we'd gotten into a, 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 some tension about it, a little tiff about it, and then she said, hold on, hold on a minute. She didn't say it this way, but let's pause this so I can go serve you, so I can make a meal for you and for the kids. And then we all go sit down around the table and eat what she'd prepared for us. And it struck me, uh, it's easy to overlook that, but the meekness involved. You know, not, not throwing a fit, not getting angry, which, which maybe would have been very legitimate considering the circumstances. But rather, she quietly, humbly submitted to serving me, even though she was in the right. <clears throat> it did not communicate a weakness or inferiority. In fact, it communicates a profound strength and graciousness. And that is the kind of quality that is being referred to here uh, in Galatians chapter 5 with this word gentleness. It's a quality that we see exemplified in the scriptures all over the place. In Numbers chapter 12, Moses is called the, the most meek man on the earth at that time. And the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it is this very same word referred to there, referring to Moses there as being meek. Moses, who was the, the prince of Egypt, Raised in Pharaoh's house, now returns to Egypt as a, a shepherd from out in the sticks, a servant of the Lord and a servant of the people. You think of Moses' meekness and his, his humility contrasted with Pharaoh and his stiff-necked pride. We see meekness and gentleness in King David though he was anointed king, the rightful king of Israel, yet he humbles himself before Saul again and again and again. Even as he's being hunted by Saul unjustly, he refuses to kill him. He addresses him with such compassion and sincerity. He handles Saul with such a gentleness. And he does so from the heart, doesn't he? Even after, after Saul is killed, David weeps for him. It wasn't through gritted teeth Contrast that with Saul's stiff-necked, willful pride. Examples of this quality abound among God's people throughout the Scriptures, but this quality is, of course, seen most perfectly in the Lord Jesus himself. And that, that brings us to our second point, this quality of gentleness, meek humility in the Lord Jesus himself. This quality of willingly, deliberately lowering self and elevating others for their good is present in the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul refers to him that way in 
2 Corinthians 10, when he appeals to the saints on behalf of the, the gentleness of Christ. The Lord Jesus refers to himself this way, his own meekness in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, when he says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And it's plain to see, as we think about him, what, what more perfect expression of gentle, humble meekness could there ever be than the Lord Jesus Christ? That he who is God himself would willingly, deliberately come down, literally down from heaven, would be born in a manger, would take on human flesh, would be one of us, prone to all of the weaknesses and the pain and the suffering that human beings after the fall are prone to, that he would become our brother in that way. And not only our brother, but he would become a servant. And he would not allow himself to be set up on a throne in his earthly ministry, but rather he would be a servant who washes the feet of his disciples. He would humble himself and submit himself. Even there in Gethsemane, he would, he would pray to the Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That he would send his will down under the will of the Father and humble himself and become meek. And there in the garden, we really see the beginning of that most triumphant expression of his meekness at the cross where he is arrested. He gives himself over to be arrested by a mob. Now he who could, he demonstrated, John records it in his gospel, with a word could lay that mob flat on their backs. He gives himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be counted as a criminal. You saw the way that when he interacted with the Pharisees in those days leading up to the crucifixion, the way that when accusations were brought against him, when they tried to ensnare him in a trap with just a word, he silenced his opponents. Oh, he could have done that at his trial. He could have turned all their accusations back around and proven himself innocent. Surely he could have, but he was silent and did not. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was silent in his trial he willingly gave himself to that guilt that was ours, to crucifixion, and then to the grave. And friends, don't, don't miss the fact that that kind of meekness, that kind of humble gentleness in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was shocking to those around him. You remember Pilate's response. Pilate was stunned. Pilate was disturbed. Pilate saw that it was the jealousy of the Pharisees. Pilate saw that this was an innocent man. Pilate is disturbed. How, how is it that an innocent man like this can be silent before false accusations with so much on the line? But listen, you know Pilate didn't know the half of it. Pilate thought he was a man, maybe a king. And we know that he was no mere man. He was a man because he'd chosen to humble himself, but he was God, and he is God. The one silent before Pilate was not just a great man who was innocent, but the holy God himself was standing before Pilate. The holy God of heaven himself was standing there and having accusations thrown at him, and he kept his mouth shut so that the accusations would stick. He lowered himself further and further 
in order that we might be raised up in his name and forgiveness. Pilate didn't understand that it was God himself enduring this abuse. He didn't understand what was going on. He was stunned. But Paul explains to us what was going on. Turn to that well-known text in Philippians chapter 2. I will not pass up an opportunity to read these verses to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who our Lord was. This is who our Lord is. He's gentle. Gentle in this way. Meek, lowly, humble, not weak, not timid, not lacking confidence, but willingly making himself low in order that we might be exalted. Friends, this is who he was and this is who he is to this very day. As I've said to you before, even as I speak to you right now, I am not sharing with you some, some meditations on old stories and things from the past. I'm speaking about somebody who is alive right now. The Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, he rose from the dead on the third day and he lives this very hour. And who he is has not changed. He is the same meek, gentle Savior though he is exalted and given the name that is above every name. Though he is so holy, he is also humble. Though he is so mighty, he is also meek and welcoming and gentle. And this, as we read in Psalm 113, he who is so high and lifted up draws near to sinners. As we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, he who is in heaven is also our Father. Our God is meek and gentle. Friends, Jesus Christ is meek and gentle towards sinners, towards you today even, if you will come to him. Regardless of your sin, regardless of the circumstances in your life, regardless of the particular form of rebellion that you have been guilty of, regardless of the, the offensive hardness of heart and the way that maybe you have lived as a stench in his nostrils. Sinners who come to him for mercy find a gentle, welcoming Savior. This is his character. This is his mind. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he will come one day and establish his rule and power. Oh, but friends, today he invites all to come to him and to receive mercy. And he extends a gentle, welcoming embrace to all who will come. Will you come? Have you? Have you hardened your heart against him? He has not hardened his heart against you. 
Have you failed in your commitments to him? He has not grown cold towards you. Have you become stiff-necked in pride before him? Well, he will not be stiff-necked in pride towards you. But rather, you will find a Savior who is characterized by meekness, by humility, by gentleness, even now. It's a gentle God, almighty as he is, omnipotent as he is, holy and powerful as he is, though he will come on the final day in judgment. It is a meek and gentle Savior that sits on a throne in heaven right now. And there is no one who will go to him and find him otherwise. Will you come to him? Now, not only is this humble meekness his mind, but as I read just a moment ago in Philippians chapter 2, it is to be our mind as well. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That mind, that verse 4 before, looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That brings us to the third point here. We've talked about what this gentleness is. We've talked about what it looks like in the Lord Jesus. And now we'll talk a little bit about what it looks like in us, what it is in us. As I said, the scriptures are very clear This humble gentleness, this meekness of Christ, it is to characterize us as his people. We who have been saved by the mercy of our meek and humble Lord are to be humble and meek and gentle towards one another. We who have gone to the judge himself and and found a tenderness and a gentleness in him, oh friends, of course we are to have a tenderness and a gentleness towards one another. We who received mercy should show mercy to one another. There are numerous passages in the scriptures that explicitly say that, but this one in Galatians 5, this gentleness listed among the fruit of the Spirit is plain and is compelling. The fruit of being his, of his spirit dwelling in us, of being united to him in faith, is to have a gentleness, a meekness like his own manifest in us. Now again, not perfectly, not immediately, but really and progressively. His people are to be meek as he himself is meek. And this, friends, like I said, this is shocking to the world, maybe especially right now. Uh, I, like you, I mean, this is the only time in the world that I'm aware of is the time that I'm in. You know, I read about other times and imagine the future, but this is the one. But right now, is, is meekness and gentleness like this, is this not so unlike the world that we live in? I mean, isn't the world that we're living in right now, our, I mean, isn't it so characterized by having this, this chip on the shoulder, this readiness to be offended at the drop of a hat? I mean, you can't get on social media and not see it. And there's a hair trigger on anger, on offense, on irritation, It is not to be that way in the church. It is not to be so for us. For we, whose offenses, our own offenses, legitimate offenses, have been washed away by the blood of Christ and loving mercy. It should be, friends, our, it should be our pleasure to cover offenses with love, as the proverb says, 
in chapter 10. The world that we live in is very much in love with strength and with control and with power. It is not so here in the church where our Lord, though he was powerful, though he was God, did not consider that something to be grasped onto, but rather through death and weakness and humility and submission conquers death and redeems us, not in strength, but in weakness. The world is very clear about the necessity of putting self first and looking out for ourselves. Oh, but it is not to be that way here in the church, where the Lord Jesus himself, who is and was and will always be first, put himself last. So if you would be great in his kingdom, among his brethren, so you put yourself last. We of all people must be a meek, humble, deferential, gentle people as Christ was gentle in this way. We must be gentle towards one another. Gentle in the face of irritation, in the face of offense, in the face of conflict. Are we? And let the scriptures be a mirror for you. Brothers, are we gentle to our wives and meek in our dealings with them? Wives, are we, are we meek and humble in our dealings with our husbands? Parents, are we meek towards our children? Again, it does not mean weak. But are we stiff-necked when we're wrong? Children, are you stiff-necked to your parents? Or is there a meekness about you? Are we meek to our coworkers? Are we meek to our neighbors? Are we, do we willingly lower ourselves and esteem ourselves less in order for the benefit of others to saints in the church? Or are we characterized by a stiff-necked quickness to irritation? Are we, we ought to be characterized by a humble, gentle meekness, friends. Like James chapter 1 says, we ought to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to be angry. This is fitting for God's people. For those of us who've been saved by grace. And listen, if we're really going to be a church together, if we're really going to live our lives together, if we're going to know each other and be known and be a blessing to each other and a benefit to each other, if we're going to live our lives in concert and strive together side by side for the sake of the, go- for the, sake of the gospel, we're going to have lots of opportunities to be meek. Lots of opportunities to not be offended. Lots of opportunities to, to put our own needs aside and to elevate others for their benefit. And friends, together as a church, We are living in a time where I would suggest to you that there are lots of opportunities for us to be meek collectively as a people. We are living in a frightening and unsure time. And I can't tell whether it's the the rapidity of the news cycle and how news bombards you or whether it actually changes, but it seems scarier all the time. Are we going to be characterized by an angry, defensive, fearful, prideful spirit? Or will we be characterized by a gentleness that comes from humility and meekness and trust? Are we going to think and act like people 
who believe that we have an empire that must be protected by our own strength? Or are we going to think and act like a people who believe that our Lord Jesus gave himself to death and was risen from the dead and conquered death and he has already overcome the world, like he says in John chapter 16. I think if we were to live that way, if we were to see that this fruit of the Spirit, this gentleness, this meekness, were more and more thriving in us as a people, that would be shocking to the world. That would be surprising to the world. The world would stand back like Pilate and say, no, wait, 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 who are you again? Where did you come from? That you would respond like this in circumstances like these. It would bring God great glory for his people to be filled with the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And friends, this is the last thing I'll say. We can be. It is not an impossible task to be done in our own strength, to be meek as our Lord is meek. It is a very possible task because it is to be done in his strength. What I mean by that is when the Lord Jesus came and walked on the earth and demonstrated such gentleness and meekness, he did not do so through his own superior intellect or personal strength of character, though he had both. He rather did so in faith. Turn with me to Galatians, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Some of you know this text already. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 21. Peter's encouraging the saints to suffer well in difficult times. And he says this, For to, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now listen, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see? He did not using his own strength as a man, become meek and gritted out. But rather, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And to walk in meekness with him is to walk as he walked, to likewise entrust ourselves to the God who judges justly. Right. Here is the power for meekness, friends. It's not whipping ourselves into a place of humility. Try, whipping yourself into being humble never works because you get so proud of how humble you are. True meekness comes from trusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus, trusting ourselves to the God of heaven who is trustworthy. In the times that we're living in, in the families that we live in, that are the family, the homes that are full of sinners, this is true. The church that we're in that's full still of unsanctified, fully sinners. The world that we're living in that's, that's full of scary things and scary circumstances on the horizon, clouds darkening. Listen, friends, the way to not be stiff-necked, defensive, self-protective, 
is to entrust ourselves to the God who is sovereign over all of it and has appointed the end from the very beginning and who gave himself to die on the cross that we might know exactly who he is, that we might know that the one who sits on the throne in heaven is gentle, that he is kind, that he is good, that he is merciful to sinners, and he will not stop being so. And I don't have to bristle to protect myself because I can entrust myself to him. He judges justly. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving good gifts to your people. Thank you for giving the Lord Jesus Christ to us. We could never have conceived of a Savior like him. We would make him great and mighty, and there'd be no meekness in him. But oh, you have sent us a Savior that is needful. You have sent us your own beloved Son. We thank you for his gentleness to us. Oh, God, make us gentle to one another. Make us gentle to the world. Teach us this way of meekness that he himself walked. Teach us to entrust ourselves to you. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.